Welcome to the Starting Line Church Sermons Podcast. Here at Starting Line Church, we are all about helping people embrace that there is more to life through Jesus. This sermon was first given at Starting Line Church in Cleveland, Ohio. I apologize for the little chillness in the room. If at any point during today you need to get up and do five jumping jacks, I will understand. Um, It's okay, I might do them myself. Um, My name is Zach. I'm thrilled to be with you today. I want to start out today by telling you that I love a good plot twist. Okay? You know, you're watching a movie, you're reading a book, you're watching something play out, and you think you know how it's going to end, but then there's like this plot twist right in the middle, right where it takes this wild turn at the end, or, or it just goes in a certain direction that you weren't quite thinking, right? Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Darth Vader saying, no, I am your father, right? Um, or maybe um, you're reading a book and Gandalf didn't actually die in book one, or uh, you're watching uh, the movie Interstellar and you find out that it was her dad who was signaling to her in the future, or the all-time favorite... Prince Hans didn't really love her, right? She just pretended to love her so he could get to the throne, right? I love to think to myself, wow, I never saw that coming. It's probably why I don't thoroughly enjoy watching Hallmark movies, right? But this happens in life all the time, right? We think we know where we're going. We think we know the direction, maybe that even we think that God has for us. And then all of a sudden, it takes a twist, a turn, right? And we kind of feel like, wow, God, that was a plot twist. I did not really see that coming. Today, we are continuing our series, Pivotal, where we we're kind of walking through some of these major moments in the book of Acts. And um, as Al kind of brought us up to speed last week, right? This really has led to why we're even here today, right? These early beginnings, these things that happened have actually led to, uh, you know, all of us gathering in a frigid room in uh, North Ridgeville, Ohio in 2024, um, Today And so we're really walking through the book of Acts and, and really seeing kind of how the Christian church got started, right? And so last week, Al kicked us off in Acts chapter 2. Um, she talked about, right, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, um, you know, all the believers, right? And this was, this is amazing, right? She talked about spiritual community and this, this community that really existed at the beginning. And it was really, really good, Right? Um, as, they, as they launch, when you read through, um, you know, not just even Acts chapter 2, but as you get into 3, 4, 5, right, um, there, you, you see this phrase kind of repeat over and over again, and it'll say something along the lines of like, the Lord added to their numbers daily, or, you know, 3,000 more people came that day, or, you know, whatever. And so we see these moments, right, that this is a, this is a really cool time to be in the church because God is bringing all of these people, right? The church is growing, right? This is every pastor's dream, right, that it's just like exploding, it's big. But as we launch into today, we're going to start to see that something begins to happen that they did not expect. Two words, plot twist, right? Things begin to go downhill really fast. In Acts chapter 6, there's this guy, his name is Stephen, and he is arrested. He is falsely arrested. Um, and what happened is the religious leaders of the time, they basically got this group of people, um, these, these false witnesses, basically to levy charges against Stephen, right? And so they bring Stephen be- uh, before the high council, right? Um, all of the 
people in charge at the time of, of the religious system, right? This would be uh, the equivalent, basically, of like our court system today, right? We live um, in a country, right, where separation of church and state, this did not happen um, back in ancient Israel. It was all one. And so this is like the court system. They bring him before the court system, and they begin to question him, saying, did you actually do these things, right? And when you read through Acts chapter 7, Stephen kind of has this like mic drop moment, okay? He begins to walk through the Old Testament, and he says, listen, see all of these things that happened? They all point to this Jesus guy that you just crucified, right? The entire story of God from the beginning of time until this moment has pointed to Jesus, and you put him to death, Mic drop, but the room was not silent. We pick up reading in the end of Acts chapter 7. This is what it says. It says, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. A little bit of an overreaction here, um, right? But they are so infuriated that Stephen is basically accusing them of putting the Son of God to death because they did not see Jesus that way, that they drag him out of Jerusalem beyond the city gates, as was custom at the time, and begin to stone him, uh, which if you don't know what stoning is, it's that. Uh, it's literally throwing rocks at people until they die. Um, and so they begin to stone him to death. This is how mad and infuriating the people are. I keep tripping over this, so I'm going to move it back. Right, they're so mad at what Stephen had to say. But what we've come to see and what we come to know is that it is this moment, it is this point that the plot twist takes place. Because everything that happens after this is not all fairy tales and roses like it was in the first part of Acts. See, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. This event with Stephen forever changed the trajectory of the church. Right For the first time on this grand scale, the church as a whole, Christians as a community were persecuted. Now, persecution by definition is a hostility or ill treatment of someone usually having to do with political or religious views, right? So this isn't just the mere fact that they began uh, killing Christians, which happened on a large scale, but it also meant that uh, people began to treat Christians differently wherever they went, right? If someone found out at this time that you belonged to the church, that you were a Christian, people were often hostile towards you um, or would simply just treat you differently, usually worse. And so this persecution begins in the city of Jerusalem 
But look what happens next. Right? The Bible goes on to say, um, it says in Acts uh, chapter 8, verse, the end of verse 1 there, it says, all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Jumping to verse 3, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So we see the 180 here, right? There are miracles being done, right? The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. People are being healed, right? People are being delivered, right? These Christians, they are enjoying this amazing spiritual community that we talked about last week. Suddenly, it is not even legal for them to gather together, even like what we're doing today. So much to the fact that these believers that are in Jerusalem have to leave home. Right? They actually leave Jerusalem. They begin to spread out. It's a scattering of sorts. So what does this mean for us today? Well, obviously we know that this persecution didn't work or else none of us would be here today. As much as Saul wanted to silence the church, the fact that we are meeting here today is proof that it actually had the opposite effect. And so today I want us to take a look at this, this story a little deeper of this persecution, how it began. Um, and I really want us to zero in on uh, three choices that we see people make, right? We find three choices uh, that people are making in the midst of this persecution that forever change the trajectory of the church that were pivotal in this time. But we also want to see what it means for us today, right? These choices, right? Chances are here in the United States, we are not going to experience persecution, right? But the fact remains that when we are followers of Jesus, when people come to know that we follow Jesus, right? Maybe it's not full-blown persecution, right? We are probably not at risk of dying for our faith, right? There are, we have brothers and sisters around the world, right? Europe, Asia, who face that reality. But here in America, that's not a reality for us. But there are still lessons that we can learn, still choices that we can make. Because the fact of the matter remains, when people find out that you're a Christian, they might begin to treat you differently. And so these three choices that we're going to look at today not only affected the church back then, but have the opportunity to influence our lives today. So the first choice that was made came from Stephen, right? He had a lot of choices to make along the way, right? He could have chose to not stand up for what he believed in. He could have, stand, he could have just remained quiet before the Sanhedrin, before the high council. But he chose to stand up for what he believed in. But I believe that the first and the, or the, the greatest choice that Stephen made was his choice to forgive. The end of Acts chapter 7, verse 59 to 60 says, As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. I love the imagery here because this is very similar to Jesus' last words on the cross, right? When we read the Easter story, one of the last things that Jesus says before he dies is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In the moment that the persecution was greatest, 
while Stephen is on the brink of death, while they are literally stoning him, Stephen chose forgiveness. Do not hold this sin against them. Right? In the moments where people are treating us differently, where people are threatening us, right? It's easy to get angry right back, right? It's easy even for us to, to wish harm on them. I remember this time, um, I was in elementary school, I was just a little tot, little Zach, and uh, we were in gym class, and um, I get a little competitive from time to time, and um, so I don't remember which grade we were, but we were in gym class, and we were, ha- uh, we were like racing around the gym, right? So we must have been in some running curriculum or whatever in gym class. So we're running around, and um, you know, I, liked, I liked to be fast, and, uh, but there was this kid, and he kept beating me. And it kept making me really mad. But I was never close enough that I could like stick out my foot, like and trip him. But I remember thinking to myself like, oh, if only he would just trip and fall. Like then I could win, right? I know that's a silly example, right? But, but this is easy for us to think through, right? When people are, are treating us badly, right? It's easy for us to think, man, I just wish something would happen to them, right? God, just take them away, you know? Fire from heaven, But Stephen shows us that there was a greater way, right? Stephen chose to forgive. Imagine what happened to the people standing there, right? Take yourself out of Stephen's shoes for a moment and put yourselves into the shoes of the people who are stoning him. You're literally throwing stones at this guy. Instead of getting angry back at you, he is literally praying that God would not hold that sin against you. Now, we don't know for certain, but I have to imagine that at least one person was affected by that. At least one person heard it because we have it written down in scripture. But imagine what that would do in the midst of violence, in the midst of persecution, the choice to forgive would at least have to make someone stop and think for a moment. Oh, this guy's different. I have to imagine, or I have to wonder how many people reevaluated their choices that day. Because the reality is forgiveness is a powerful weapon, right? In a world that tells us that you are the most important, right? That I am only to look out for me and my wants, The choice to forgive someone else, even when you have every right to be angry at them. In those moments that you choose forgiveness, it is a powerful weapon. Imagine what it would be like if we made a conscious choice to forgive anyone and everyone who wronged us, even if we were justified in being angry. I want you to stop and think for a second. Maybe who is someone that you need to forgive? Who has maybe wronged you, maybe in your minds isn't even worthy of forgiveness? In fact, maybe even what they did against you, the Bible says is wrong. And you're justified in your anger. Yet what would it look like for us to choose forgiveness? to not hold that sin against them, right? We're not saying that you don't act like it ever happens, that you just wipe it away. But what if we chose forgiveness 
in those moments. You're going to have time to think about that at the end. The second choice that we see is not necessarily from one person, but is from a group of people, right? All of the people standing around watching Stephen being stoned, right? Especially the people who were part of the church. Imagine the fear inside of them. Yesterday, you're sitting in church, and today, one of the guys that was in your church service is literally being stoned to death. Imagine the fear that gripped them. Imagine the confusion, right? You're watching all these people come to know Jesus. You're watching miracles be performed. And then all of a sudden, your friend is put to death in this persecution. You see the religious leaders going from house to house, dragging people, throwing them into prison. Imagine the, te the terror and the fear that gripped the heart of the church that day. You would think in the moment that everything would just shut down, right? Hunker down, circle the wagons. But there was a choice that they made. The second choice is that the church chose to spread. It would have been easy for them to be in Jerusalem, to see all these things happen and be like, mm, I don't know how much I believe in this then. If this is what's going to happen to me, we see the first great testing of their faith, right? And what we begin to see throughout the rest of the book of Acts is that they don't just hunker down in Jerusalem, they don't just lock their door, they don't stop meeting, but they end up leaving Jerusalem and they begin spreading out. It's like, uh, you ever watch little kids play soccer? It's funny. It's really funny because um, you have the soccer ball here, right? And the soccer is, you're supposed to get in the net. And uh, my parents, uh, when I was younger, called this uh, bumblebee ball, right? Where everyone just swarms to the ball, right? And so you get like five kids from each team and they're all around the ball, right? And as they grow and mature, they learn like, oh, you're actually supposed to like spread out and pass it to one another. And like, it's easier that way, right? And so in the beginning, right, the church was kind of like, bumblebee ball, right? Everyone was together in Jerusalem. But as soon as this persecution takes place, they begin to spread out. And what they begin to slowly realize is, oh, we're actually more effective as we spread out. Up until this point, Christianity lived almost exclusively in the city of Jerusalem, right? The apostles, all the believers, right? Everybody was centered in Jerusalem. And what happens when this persecution takes place is the church begins to spread. It begins to scatter, right? The religious leaders, their, their whole goal in starting this persecution was to shut down the church, right? To wipe it out. But in fact, we see that it actually gets bigger. It gets larger, it spreads. And what we see happen is that as these believers begin to spread out, they don't leave the gospel, they don't leave the good news in Jerusalem, but they take it with them. Right? See, this is also the plot twist, not just for the church, but for the religious leaders at the time, right? They, begin, they thought that, hey, if we begin throwing these people in prison, like we can stop this. Little did they know that their actions actually contributed to the greatest spreading of Christianity 
at the time. I read this quote the other day, and it says, Comfort gathers, but persecution scatters. Jesus, before he left, before he ascends into heaven, right? He has been crucified, buried, rises three days later, right? He spends time with his disciples. And before he leaves, in Acts chapter 1, he says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But till that point, they had stayed in Jerusalem. And it's the persecution, right? We read that earlier in Acts, uh, where it says uh, that the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. The persecution that takes place actually begins to fulfill Jesus's command to go to the rest of the world with the good news. I love this. Right? God used something that was meant for evil to actually further his plans on a greater scale. Right? It's not like God was sitting up there being like, ooh, didn't expect this to happen. But we know that God is all-powerful. We know that he is all-knowing. And he uses the persecution of Christians to drive the witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so we are, often or we are often faced with the same choice. When persecution comes at us, when hostility comes towards us, we are circle the wagons, hunker down, or we can choose to go to an even larger extent. Our third choice kind of plays off the second one as a result of the scattering, right? It would have been easy for them to flee Jerusalem, to go to these different cities, to go to these regions of Judea and Samaria and just put that life behind, right? Hey, it's time for a fresh start, right? Maybe it's time for us to begin again. Let's start over. But that's not what happens. Even though the persecution is happening, Acts 8, 4 says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. You see, they were so convicted. They were so gripped by what Jesus had done for them that even the threat of death didn't stop them from sharing the good news everywhere that they went. One of the people that we read about that scatters from this persecution, uh, his name is Philip, and uh, uh, he was one of the people chosen uh, to help the apostles. Um, earlier, we read about Philip. He was chosen, selected to help uh, in the distribution of food for the widows in Jerusalem. And so he was a leader in the early church. He was a key volunteer. He flees the persecution that is happening in Jerusalem, and he heads out for the town of Samaria. And I know we've talked about Samaria multiple times um, in our gatherings together, right? But uh, the people of Samaria and uh, the Jewish people at the time, they didn't really get along. And so the fact that uh, he is fleeing to Samaria says something. And so it says that he leaves Jerusalem, he heads for Samaria, and what does he do? It says that Philip told the people there about the Messiah, Right? He goes to the religious rivals of the Jews 
he goes and he starts talking about this Jesus guy, right? And says that he is full of the Holy Spirit and he performs all of these signs. He heals people. Um, it says that he drives out these impure spirits. You see, the fact of the matter is Philip chose to obey, right? It would have been easy for him to move to a new place, uh, to not assume the identity of a Christian and to just hide, right? To take on a new life, like witness protection kind of, right? It would have been easy, but he was so confident in Jesus. He was so confident in the gospel that he just simply couldn't hide it. And so he proclaimed, he preached, he shared, he healed. He did all of these things to point people to Jesus. Because the reality remains that in the midst of persecution, it can be hard to obey. It can, it can be hard to have full confidence in something or someone when your life or maybe your way of life is threatened for it. You begin to, to wonder, you begin to question, you begin to think. I'm sure Philip did as he traveled. I'm sure he wrestled. But as he arrives, he arrives, or he arrives with this confidence, and that confidence led to obedience. So what does this mean for all of us? What do the, these choices mean for us? I love uh, Acts 8, ch chapter 8, verse 8. It says, so there was great joy in that city. You see, because of the persecution, because of the scattering, because of the forgiveness, because of the obedience, great joy came to a city because of Philip, because of one person stepping out in obedience, in forgiveness, in confidence, and choosing to share Jesus. Right? This is, this is it. This is the whole point of the story, right? When we choose to forgive, when we choose to leave our comfort, when we uh, obey God's commands to share Jesus with others, what follows is great joy. It would have been very easy in this moment, on that day, for Christianity to die. But it didn't. Plot twist. It got bigger. It expanded. The message of Jesus was carried to places that I do wonder, without persecution, would it have ever reached there? Would it have ever left Jerusalem? Even at that speed, the quickness that it was carried. One of the things that we value here at Starting Line Church is, is taking some moments of response. And so over the next couple of minutes, we're going to put some questions up on the screen relating to those three choices. And so uh, I don't have paper for you today, and your hands are probably too cold to write anyways. Um, so I want you to think about it. You can, if you, if you have your phone, you can type it maybe in your notes page for later, you know, whatever uh, it is. But I want you to think about these three questions, because the reality is in our lives, right, we may not we may not experience this full-blown persecution that uh, the, the, the community in uh, Acts faced. But the reality is we will face hardships. We will face trials. People might begin to treat you differently because you're a follower of Jesus. 
right? We will face things that are hard, that aren't easy. But like in these moments in Acts, God can use those moments for even greater things, right? When we choose to forgive, when we choose to obey, when we choose to leave our comfort zones and go, I'm not saying you need to go across the country, but maybe it's simply going right next door. Maybe that's where God is calling you to go. So by way of response, I want you to take a few minutes and think about uh, these three questions, right? Who is somebody that I need to forgive? Right? Spend a couple of moments in quietness. And in the quietness of your hearts, ask God, God, bring somebody to mind. Maybe there's somebody that I'm even justified at being angry at. But who are you calling me that I need to extend forgiveness? Or maybe where do I need to go? Where is God calling me to go? Is it across the street? Is it across town? And how do I need to obey? What is maybe something I've been running from, putting off, that God is asking me to obey, to follow, to trust, so that he can show me something greater, something more than what he has for me now? So let's take a couple minutes of response and then we'll continue in worship. Thanks for listening to our sermon podcast. If you want to learn more about Starting Line Church or to help support our ministry here, check us out at www.startingline.church.